Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. We're excited to have Donovan Ruffin on the Titanium Vault today. Donovan, how are you doing? Hey, how's it going, everybody? It's going good. So, Donovan, why don't you take a second to introduce yourself and tell everybody what it is you do in real estate. Yeah, uh, so I'm Donnie. Um, I, well, my real name is Donovan. I go by Donnie. Uh, I'm from a small town in Ohio called Oregon, Ohio. Um, eventually uh, uh, moved to Dallas around seven years ago, um, close to eight years ago now. And, uh, no, just uh, checking out different opportunities here and there in Dallas, just uh, always hungry, um, motivated, always been entrepreneur spirit, just growing up in small country town, you know, always learn how to barter and stuff like that. So I was always intrigued by entrepreneurship. Um, eventually found my way into real estate. Um, one of my buddies um, um, had a couple of successful wholesale deals. So I was really intrigued by the amount of money that you could make um, in a short amount of time without having like credit or money or anything like that. And, um, it was intriguing because uh, being young, you don't have a lot of those resources. Um, so here I am. Um, so that's kind of. Um, so are you currently wholesaling, rehabbing? What are you doing inside real estate? Yeah, so I started off wholesaling um, and uh, I did a couple wholesales. I did maybe six or seven wholesales before I did my first rehab. Um, now, I really enjoy rehabbing, um, obviously, First of all, just I mean, the reason why I do it is mostly because of money, but I also really enjoy just like being able to, you know, take something that somebody's like trash or and not really as evaluated, uh, just not really as evaluated to take it into something that's it's really beautiful and and um, bringing a product to the marketplace that's really awesome. Um, so it's it's awesome being able to uh, to create something like that and develop something like that for the marketplace. So I really enjoy rehab. So I, I do mostly fix and flips right now. So let's let's dive into that a little bit. What kind of marketing do you do to acquire your rehabs? Uh, yeah. So I do pretty much all types of mar or I wouldn't say all types, but I, I like to have some type of balance between different categories of marketing just so I could have a constant lead flow. Um, now, I, my specialty is pretty much bandit signs, and I love bandit signs just because I found a certain system involved with it um, where I, I was able to scale up into acquiring a certain amount of leads through bandit signs. Um, but I also do a heavy amount of uh, mailers. I also do Google AdWords. Um, and that's pretty much it as far as marketing standpoint is just mailers, AdWords, and bandit signs. Now, I'm also uh, buying from other wholesalers as well. The deal is right, so I do a lot of that as well. Um, but it's finding like a certain amount of balance and, hey, where do I find most of my fix and flips? Um, I haven't really found like a certain balance or system involved, uh, but it mostly comes from my own personal marketing from that standpoint, yeah. So I'll share with you, I, I think I kind of let you know when I asked you to be a guest on here, but one of our listeners actually referred me to you and said she used the example of you're a beast when it comes to marketing using bandit signs. Oh, yeah? And, and yeah, she, she actually said that. And so 
Is there something in particular out there for our listeners that you're doing differently, or is it just mass volume, or or what is it that you're you're doing that I guess uh, stood out to that one listener about bandit signs? Oh man, well I I could tell you, man. Majority of the success I have in real estate it comes strictly from consistency. Um, so when I when I first started in wholesaling, for example, like I didn't have too much money to invest into marketing, so I would just buy maybe. 25 blank posters when I first started and writing, we buy houses on them with my phone number and just sticking them to trees and wood stakes. And just by being consistent with it, I was doing it like every single week. Um, I ended up getting my first deal, which I and make like $4,000 or $5,000. Um, and then from there, I was just ordering signs. Um, but as far as like a certain message or system involved with it, man, it's just consistency. And I make sure I'm out there. My team is out there every single week, regardless if it's raining, regardless of even how many signs we have, there's, there's signs being posted every single week. Um, and consistency is, is just kind of like staying power within, within that category of marketing. Um, so as far as kind of what I do with marketing with banded signs is I, I stick to big intersections within the Dallas Metroplex. Um, I make sure I use yellow and black because it, it's appealing to the eye. And um, I, I like to do H stakes in the ground because, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe people are when they're going through stuff or depressed or have a lot of stuff going on, they like to look down. So um, they're close to the ground. So people are looking down and seeing them and like, hey, I know somebody that's selling a house or maybe I, I need to sell a house. So. Um, I'm going to take a picture of the sign and, and call it maybe later on or just going to call it right there on the spot. Um, and I, I found a balance of, hey, if I do this every week, I'm going to get a constant amount of phone calls that hit my phone every single day um, within a certain amount of bandit signs. So, um, but right now, yeah, I do a heavy amount of volume to produce a lot of leads. But, I mean, from, from my balance right now, I'm seeing about one lead generated every 100 bandit signs that's posted. So, um, that's a lead as somebody's actually calling the phone. So I have to do maybe five, 500 to actually get one motivated seller. So it's a, it's a heavy amount of bandit signs, believe it or not, to get one lead. But I mean, that's really what you're looking for, especially if you're just getting started. So like one of my biggest fears with this podcast is that at some point in time, the message is always going to be the same. Yeah. It, 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 every person that I talk to, when I talk to them about marketing, they have the same answer, and it's consistency. Yep. That That's the main key. It doesn't matter if, like for you, maybe it's Bandit Signs. For another guest, it was Google AdWords. Um, one of the things that we do in my company is Facebook ads, and and every single person has said it's it doesn't matter about you know there's there's little intricacies like you said maybe the yellow sign or lower to the ground because that's where they're looking because maybe what's going on in their life you know they're they're looking down but really the main message in marketing is just consistency that's that's yeah. what everybody says well, I think what's just just as important is actually doing it. You know, it's like I'm sure there's people listening to this podcast right now that's just been kind of on the wire of maybe going all in or actually act getting physically started. Um, that's kind of the starting point. You know, you got to get up and do something, and then being consistently doing something is what's important. Um, and regardless of how good you are at negotiating or what type of resources that you have, you wouldn't even be able to be close to that if you aren't getting started. So just by actually doing something, having work ethic involved with it and being consistent with something that works is very important and vital. Right. And like you just said, I mean, I know a ton of people that have gone out and bought, 
you know, 20, 25 bandit signs, put them up one weekend. They got taken up, and they said, oh, well, bandit signs don't work. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's like you just said. It it almost takes 500 bandit signs for you to eventually get one solid lead from a motivated seller. And even from there, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get a contract on it or get the property. That's just a, a solid lead. And so... It is about, you know, the consistency, but then also having that drive and that work ethic to make sure that that consistency breeds some kind of success. You know, you have to stick with the plan. Yep. So when when you're going out and you're trying to acquire rehabs, is there a particular price point or type of property that you're searching for, or do you do any and all properties? Um, no, I don't do any and all. Um, I actually learned a lot, you know, at, you know, just being really aggressive with it when I first got into fixing flips. And um, I found what was profitable for me and what works for me and what works to the system that I have set up. And I, li- I really enjoy doing the houses that have below a 250 ARV. Um, and I like to stick below those just because I can move them a lot faster. And the, uh, with me, with rehabs, I'm more of the volume guy. I buy anything that sticks to my certain model. Um, and I'll buy as many of them as I possibly can versus one of the guys that maybe does three or four fix and flips or fix and flips a year. Um, and that's the system that he has, but I'm the volume guy. So I'll do maybe two or three every month. And that, that's where I find my, my income. Um, so I stick to under 250 ARB. Um, now I, I like to stay below 70% and obviously in this market, it gets pretty competitive. So. Um, I'll, I'll pay more than that depending on how much work it needs, but I'm in and out within 30 days as far as work-wise and listed on the market. And if I can't do it within 30 days within my time, I'll either wholesale it or just get past it. I, I just prefer not to do it because um, it costs money to hold these properties with the, with the funding and private money and um, all the, the particulars involved with having a team around certain rehabs just because time is inevitable um, within real estate is you need to get in and out as fast as you possibly can while being ha- or while having excellent quality within the property. Um, and I think that's what's most important to the system that I have. So let's talk about your team a little bit. How are you managing the re- these rehabs? Is your team helping you? Do you have like a project manager or is when you talk about your team, are you talking about like acquisitions and dispositions and things along those lines? Oh, no, I, I have a, an entire team set up. So I have maybe uh, about 15 guys that work for me as far as doing the actual construction. Um, and I have uh, two lead guys, and I have one guy that I pretty much rely on to kind of run the shop. And I pay I pay my guy a, a salary plus bonuses because um, he's solid, and I like to keep him around regardless if I have work or not. So if I don't have a property, costing me money just because I'm paying this guy a salary to kind of stay with me and only me because he's solid. Um, and then from there, he hires uh, his his, uh, his subs and, and stuff like that. So it's, it works a lot better because I have a good relationship with them. Um, but I also like to team up with general contractors here and there um, to help with certain projects because I'll take on it, take on something if it makes sense to me. Um, but if my team's wrapped up in other properties, Time-wise, I got to bring somebody else in, so I'll, I'll team up with the GC um, when it comes to that. So, yeah, as far as how my team's set up, I, I got a, a two team leads, and I got a, a GC in a sense, but I pay him salary, and he's committed to me, have him under contract where he can't do construction for anybody, 
Um, so if I wanted to go paint somebody's house and I could charge like a general fee or something like me being a GC for instance, then I, I can do that. Um, but he only works for me and he's managing the properties that I have going on as far as projects. And then I pay him hefty amount of bonuses if they're finished within a certain amount of time and done properly. Um, and because I have that relationship with him, everything else goes smoothly. So he handles pretty much all of the headaches that's involved with, with everything that goes on from all the miscellaneous stuff to dealing with subs, to dealing with leads, um, to even dealing with city. I mean, everything. It's just goes through him and that's what his job is so um, we team up very well just because obviously my skills are a little bit different than construction it's more of on the negotiation side and finding the actual houses to work on yeah so we have a, a similar role within our company and you know we we realized how much time can be consumed when you're rehabbing properties with all of those roles that you just said right with managing contractors and draw requests with lenders and permits and all of those things how long did you fulfill that role before you hired the project manager well i actually got kind of fortunate uh my first my first rehab actually it was a it was a referral um uh it was one of my buddies uh his uh, uncle was looking for some work and i, I took him on and i was just like hey i need this miscellaneous stuff done it was actually a sub two deal that i did and you know, just caught up a note and um, started paying for the rehab out of pocket. And I, I paid him to handle the miscellaneous stuff. And he did an excellent job. And he was, he's like, hey, you got any more properties? And I was like, yeah, I got some more coming up. And, you know, it's just like I was negotiating with him. And to a standpoint where I got the best deal because I always had work for him. And because of that, we just generated this awesome relationship with him where it's just like, hey, this is your duties within the company. And I'm going to pay you every week regardless of whatever's going on, if I got a house or not. Um, and it just played off very well from that. So it took me a couple of weeks to actually find him, but keeping him was kind of the most important thing is because if you got somebody reliable, you want to take care of them, make sure that everything's fair across the board and as far as business-wise so you can keep them around doing solid work, and that's what's important. Right. So you brought up a sub-2 deal, and, and you're one of multiple guests who have used that phrase, and it, it just kind of dawned on me. I've never actually talk to a guest, particularly about subject twos, if you don't mind, share with everybody what a subject two deal is and kind of how you've structured those with motivated sellers. Yeah, I actually love subject two deals is because there's so many exit strategies involved with it, which brings the risk down dramatically. So kind of how subject two works, long story short, it's, it's in a sense of your owner financing a property from somebody else without subject to the debt or the debt is in the, the seller essentially's name still and you just own the deed to the house. So um, you're able to make mortgage payments to their lender with the power of attorney, et cetera, um, to uh, own this house um, from somebody else without having or not being indebted to the property. Um, so, for example, if you if you have a seller that is behind on payments, for example, it's a good opportunity for you to come in and catch the payments up on wherever that dollar amount is, pay for closing costs. And if you have to put work into the property, come out of pocket with uh, with repair costs. And then you're able to own a property in your name where you own it, but the debt is in somebody else's name. So um, I actually bought my house that I currently live in subject to in Frisco. I mean, I was like 20, 21 when I bought it. Um, the seller was like 30 grand behind, caught the payments up and just make the payments every month. And um, now it's worth 80 grand more in equity just from since that time since I bought it. So 
um, it's a it's a great structure to have, and and, and it's le- completely legal to do. And if you have opportunities like that, just take full advantage of that. I mean, I even met some lenders that actually lend on subject to type deals and can help with financing as far as catching payments up and doing repairs because there's equity in properties. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of the subject to standpoint is is taking um, a property, catching notes up. Sometimes you don't even have to catch the note up, but just keeping the the debt in somebody else's name while you own the property and you're able to legally do whatever you want with it when it comes to either renting it or either you can finance it to somebody else even, or you can just sell it to somebody else or fix it up and sell it. There's just so many extra charges involved with subject to deals and I love it. Right. And, and full disclosure, let me, let me play the role of host here. Yeah. Go ahead. E- each person in, in your state, please contact, an attorney and make sure that the different states laws, you know, both me and Donnie were, were in Dallas, Texas. And so um, we fully understand how subject twos work in Texas. Other states might have different laws regarding subject twos. I know I've talked to a gentleman in California where, where their laws are a little bit, they kind of have some language where you have to make sure you're not taking advantage of the seller or anything along those lines with taking too much of the equity but, you know, here in Texas, Donnie and I understand how those work. I also have a very similar situation where my house that I live in, I also took over as a subject to. Um, when you do your subject twos, how long do you hold on to those properties before, if it's going to be something that you keep for a while, how long before you refinance those mortgages? Um, I mean, it depends. I mean, I, I've ran across, like I've even, I own a subject to deal right now where I, I don't even have any interest of refinancing it right now because the interest rate's just so good. It's like 2.7%. So it's, it's awesome. Any reason to, um, but it, as far as refinancing, it's, uh, I mean, depending on the state you're in or the, the situation of the loan, um, sometimes it's not even necessary. Um, I've worked with a good attorney here in Dallas where he owns like 12 properties outright outright and he owned them all sub- subject to didn't have to worry about any of that um right. and the bank coming back or anything like that and that's important during the the acquisition time when you're when you're there and you're meeting with the seller to have that conversation with them about when the refinance will happen or if you don't plan on it happening you just need to explain to them how that process is going to work um i i love subject twos We've had, you know, great success with them. And and some of the best reviews that my company's ever received from sellers has been when we did a subject two. Because you, you have to realize the, the problem that you're solving. Like like Donnie said, a lot of times they're so far behind on payments that they only think that there's one way to get out of this deal and that's to sell their house or foreclosure and when you can come in and solve that problem and it's almost instantaneous i mean on my subject twos i mean we're talking about you know a couple of days and their problem solved they they don't even think that's a possibility so yeah i appreciate you sharing that and and going into in depth of about subject two uh, because i think that's a, a very important strategy if you're going to do this long term and you're going to be sitting in front of many motivated sellers you need to understand that because that's that's kind of a next level investment strategy yeah uh, yeah it's like coming from the outside looking in it seemed like rocket science but 
uh, we kind of ran out of options with this deal where it's just like, wow, it's like she was going to foreclosure like the next Tuesday. And on Monday, I mean, we took her, my, my lawyer situated and we were able to, to make the deal happen as far as certain tricks in the book to, to make it happen. So it was, it was literally like rocket science to me. But once again, having uh, a good attorney or a, a lawyer on your team is very, very efficient as well. Um, as far as um, negotiating certain deals because you can a lot, make a lot more stuff happen and being legal is, is very important. Right. So let's talk about how you're financing these properties. Outside of subject twos, let's get back to just a normal transaction. How do you finance your, your properties? Yeah, so that's a good question. So there's multiple ways in which I do it, and it just kind of depends on the best way uh, to situate it as far as profitability within the property. So, I mean, there's, there's times I've paid cash for properties, um, there's times where I've used hard money for properties and there's times where I use private money for properties. Now, to be honest with you, the majority of the time I, I like private money just because I have good relationships with people with the cash to fund properties. Um, and it just makes the process a lot easier and a lot quicker and it's a lot less expensive sometimes. Uh, but I also like hard money as well because sometimes you can get into properties with no money down if you buy it at the right dollar amount. Um, and um, being able to uh, have good interest rates with the with the correct lender and getting out of the property and still being very profitable. So it just kind of depends. I mean, if the property is uh, is well over seventy percent and I have money tied up over here, money tied up over there, I'd go the private money route where they don't really ask too many questions as far as uh, the uh, being at directly at seventy percent. They have a lot more leeway on that, but they understand that there's still a large amount of equity in the property. But they also have that trust within me to make the job happen and the job done thoroughly um, and on time because I have those relationships and that experience. I'm able to go the private money route without less money out of pocket um, or I'll just pay flat out cash for the property if it's like a no brainer or it's like, hey, it's only 50 grand to buy it and you can list it with doing nothing to it for 80 and it's a lot less closing costs and um, points or anything like that up front. So it's more profitable. So it just kind of depends on the strategy of the property going into it on what angle I want to approach. But having that network within is, is very efficient by having a team of private money um, and hard money lenders um, with good interest rates and, and um, points and stuff like that. So you talk about building a solid relationship with your private money lenders. Mm -hmm. you're, you're a very young guy in, in this industry. How have you built those relationships with those lenders to trust you with their money? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, so, um, obviously, I've networked to uh, get to the private money type of world in a sense in which um, it, it's, uh, it's very efficient and, and to my business it's important. But as far as building that trust with them, it's like, for one, my first private money acquisition was um, I did a JV deal with one of my buddies who had a private money lender and he saw how efficient and how we did the job in our team and, and, and the amount of dedication I had to the business. And he trusted that standpoint to, to do continuous business with me. Um, and then from there, you, I have that experience and that confidence where I can approach them with pure confidence and data. Uh, because let's face it, real estate is, is more or less about all of the stuff involved because it's about the numbers. And if the numbers are right, you can work with anybody or you have a lot more negotiation room um, to work with a lot more people if the numbers are right. Um, so by having the numbers right on top of having an insane amount of work ethic and sweat equity and the desire to make things happen, as well as a proven track record to prove that I've done certain things in the past, it, it has 
a lot of amount, a, a huge amount of leverage when it comes to negotiating with private money lenders. Um, so being young, it's just like, yeah, you <laughs> it being coming fresh out of the gate, never done a rehab before, or never even done a wholesale deal. Um, and then you want to talk about private money lenders. I would probably tell you it's it's not really realistic in a sense, but it's still possible. But um, you have to come into the gate swinging with experience when it comes to private money lenders because it's all about trust. When you negotiate with your private money lenders, do you typically create the terms or do you find your lenders come to you and they say, this is what I want for you out of the deal if you're going to borrow my money? Yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, well, I guess I have the relationship now where I can negotiate a little bit more just because I've done so many transactions with the, the lenders that I have. But, yeah, up front, it's just like they came with general terms to me because that's what they're generally used to working with and that's what they feel more comfortable with. And to be honest, I follow those guidelines and I prove to them, it's like, okay, I can make that work. I can still be profitable and you're still going to get your money on time and um, et cetera, et cetera, with a huge amount of equity in the property on your terms. And because I followed his terms or uh, another person's terms, I'm able to negotiate future deals where like, hey, maybe we can negotiate something where I don't have to pay points up front. I can just pay you on the back end or I don't have to pay interest rates because uh, it has X amount of equity into it. And I can just pay you on the back end. So you're going to make more, but it's less money involved for me to get into the property because I'm in, involved with a lot more properties, et cetera. Um, so it's all about the relationship and it's the relationship comes from trust and trust comes from experience and experience comes from top. I mean, there's a lot that goes involved with it, but is having good relationships with those people to being able to negotiate certain type of deals makes a lot of wonders um, go around in the real estate game because I like to play volume. So I like to buy as many deals as I possibly can with equity um, and I'm able to do that because I have that those negotiation um, privileges with my lenders. Yeah, one of the things that I've noticed is that my private money lenders actually enjoy and respect the fact that not every deal is going to be structured the same. Mm-hmm. You know, they they actually like seeing the creativity on our part to make each deal structured a little bit differently and in the fact that they're not always going to be receiving the same interest rate or if it's an equity deal, the same percentage of equity. They're seeing us work within, you know, multiple arrangements. So they're not, it kind of goes back to don't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, they just, they have many different ways to make money. So that's one of the things that we've done to try to make our private money lenders feel comfortable is that they're seeing that each individual deal we're analyzing differently and then we're creating the profit splits or the interest for our lenders around the deal. Yep, that's exactly right. Because, I mean, in reality, it's just like if everything was the same in real estate, we probably wouldn't be in real estate because everybody would be doing it. Every right. deal is different, and you got to get creative with it. Uh, but by having creative financing, it just helps that much. All right, so... I've touched on the fact that you're a young guy. It sounds like you've, you know, you've got 15 people that are within your organization working with you on all of your fix and flips. Talk to me a little bit about what your why is. What is the driving force behind you and your business? 
Yeah, so I guess it comes a lot to I don't if I want to blame it on how I was raised, I can do that. Um, just because I I seen my mom work sixteen hours a day, like literally every day, uh, without any days off or months on hand. Just growing up being a single mom, and um, I had the utmost respect for her. Uh, but in reality, she just instilled within all of my siblings and I um, to have this crazy amount of work ethic. And if you want something, you got to go work for it. So by having a single mom and growing up the way I did, and small country town with barely no opportunity. Um, when I come across big opportunities like real estate in a thriving market, I'm going to take full advantage of that because I know what how it feels to not have much or um, how it feels to not lose in a sense but ha- not being able to provide um, and enjoy a certain type of lifestyle or life in a sense because you're always struggling. And that's one of my prime motivating factors is because – I don't like the idea of being able to worry or have to worry about anything. So um, as far as, as my why, it's just like a couple years ago, like when I got into sales, for example, like my mom thought I was crazy. She was working at a refinery at the time um, and all this stuff. And in reality, I saw my mom go to work every day and come home with her hands bleeding. And it's kind of cool in a sense where mom doesn't even have to work anymore. You know, it's a couple years later, you put in a certain amount of work and um, you're able to provide in a certain sense, not just money in a sense, but opportunities for not just yourself, but other people as well. So as far as why, like, for example, I have 15 people on my team as far as construction team. If I don't have a property to work on, those guys are without work where they have to go look for work elsewhere. So I have to be motivated in a sense to always find new deals to make sure that those guys are employed because they have families and they have children and they have people that they have to provide for um, and, and a sense of survival. So um, there's a lot of reasons why I work hard every day, but mo- what's most important of, of what I've learned at this point in business is I made it more than just myself and I made it about other people and I put other people before me um, and I've learned to help other people before I help myself. And by learning how to do that, it became really profitable in a sense in business where people became loyal to me. Um, people started trusting me and people actually wanted to generally work with me and follow me um, and stay working for me and seeing the vision that I have for the future um, and, and the things to come. Because in reality, it's just the conversations I have with people that are working for me right now. It's a lot bigger than, hey, let's put this, this shower over here. or Let's fix on this house. But I mean, in a lot bigger sense, like, hey, let's build apartment buildings. Let's build airports. Let's build hospital buildings. You know, it's, there's always a vision for the future within everybody because the vision's actually there with thorough goals. Um, so as far as why I work so hard every day or why I do real estate, it's more than just me. Um, and I pick up everybody else's why, and I take full responsibility for everything that they have and the successes they have. And I want to be there at, that, at, the, at the end of the stage with those awards because um, I was able to put somebody or lead somebody to a position of victory just because I was able to help them within my organization. And that's what's fulfilling to me. Well, Donnie, you're, a, you're an impressive young man, and, and I think you're, you're well on your way to achieving a lot of those goals for your employees. Um, you know, I, I get the privilege to, to talk to a lot of people and a lot of very successful people, and one of the things that always impresses me is when I talk to someone that is young and, and growing a business and and putting other people's desires and wants before their own and making that elevate their business to the next level. And uh, so I 
congratulate you on on what you're building and uh look forward to not only watching your business grow but also you know doing business together in the future yeah so for everyone that's listening if they want to reach out and contact you what's the best way they can reach you yeah so i i used to give my phone number out a lot so i had to stop doing that just because i guess everybody likes to learn real estate but i'm also um, in business to help other people so you can reach out to me at any time um, I'm on social media most of the time. Uh, you can follow me on Snapchat. Uh, it's D-O-N-N-Y-R-U-F-F-I-N. Uh, Donnie Ruffin is my Snapchat name. My Instagram user tag is the Donovan Ruffin. So it's D-D-O-N-O-V-A-N-R-U-F-F-I-N is my Instagram tag. Um, or you can just add me on Facebook. It's Donovan Ruffin. Um, I, I don't think I'm anywhere close to having a cap on friends, which I think is stupid to have anyways. It's like, hey, you're only allowed to have so many friends in life. I'm like, well, right. gave us that rule, you know. Uh, but you can add me on Facebook, reach out to me there. I'm, I'm always down to help. Or if you got deals in the pipeline that you need help closing, or you need um, somebody, an investor to come in to buy a property, or whatever the case may be, I'm always there to help. All right, man. Well, thank you for uh, taking your time to sit down and and share your story with us, and I very much appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. You take care, RJ. All right, bye bye. All right, peace out. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, R.J. Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.